Welcome to Conlangery, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley, and down the road a ways is William Annis. Howdy. And uh, uh, a few things on the top. First of all, everybody, remember you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Conlangery. We're up to $63 a month. That is 63% to the goal of getting a new site for Conlangery. Okay. <laughs> uh, but um, other things. Uh, just recently, we had the uh, was it the, the sixth? Yes. Language creation conference. Uh, I have not had a chance to um, to watch any of the things <laughs> because I am in grad school and I have I had about four papers to write. So, uh, to work on basically for a few, several different projects to work on. So I didn't have time to, to tune into the stream. William, you, you tuned in though. I did. It was um, good. There are lots of fun talks. Mm-hmm. Um, the one I'd like to especially mention is size talk about some of the legal questions. The LCS got some nice lawyers to do, a. Some pro bono work for us to sort of research the question of protecting conlangs either through copyright, which sounds like no, forget it, um, or patenting, which is for all practical purposes a no, forget it. Um, so we have the talk, um, all of the the conferences on YouTube now, mm-hmm. um, and we have um, mostly aligned sound for the first time ever, I think. <laughs> um, for the uh, archives, um, we have good. the talk, we have the uh, slide notes that I came up with, we have the actual public memo that Denton's gave us, mm. um, and there was something else. Yeah, and that's that, that, um, that, that bit of it, I especially think, you know, either read the thing or uh, watch the talk or both things because. That's something that comes up quite often in the conlanging community. And so that's, I think that's a good reference for people who are, who want to know more about how intellectual property law and conlangs could, could interact. Because in U.S. law only. Yes. In the U.S. only. That's true. Um, and, uh, Sai has this in, on his in his talk, but Sai uh, is not a lawyer. Right. Sai <laughs> is not your lawyer. Denton's is not your lawyer. It's the LCS's lawyer. Um, right. Um, I have a little um, Tumblr post about this, linking to all the correct places. There was also in two thousand four a Harvard Journal of Law and Technology. Um, somebody decided that this was a pressing issue and wrote a paper called Constructed Languages and Copyright, colon, A Brief History and Proposal for Divorce. 
<laughs> um, their idea also was that languages just can't be copyrighted. Um, yes. Again, Which theirs is... is a little bit more abstract and very long, and all of that material together is interesting if you care about the matter. The problem what? with patenting a, a, a conlang is that it has to be something that nobody has ever thought of before. And we all know Anadu. So the chances that you have genuinely created something that no one ever has thought of before and will pass the prior art test is very low. Yeah, yeah. So I, from an intellectual standpoint, I thought that was interesting, but I don't know how many people care about copywriting their conlangs. Well, there are a few people who 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 want to, but uh, yeah, uh, just just go over that. Go go to that one, and um, there's other talks too. Uh, William, you said that um, uh, Britain talked about um, the documentary he's making yes uh, about conlang right that's, so that's, that's very exciting um britain who uh has actually him and his husband have actually completed a film before namely sen um so um there's a good chance of this getting completed so if you look at um the start to the saturday session i believe they talk about um the thing, there's a short video sort of encouraging you to participate uh, if you want or uh, and explaining what the project is. So my hope is they will actually be able to complete this. Um, I know that in the last few years there have been other attempts by people to make documentaries and then no one ever heard from them again. Mm -hmm. um, so this one has some chance of being completed. Um, and it's also being made by uh, a conlanger, so there's a little extra motivation there. Yeah, that's 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 definitely good stuff. And and just just check out all the all the stuff. Uh when I get time, I'm going to go through all the talks and and watch them all because you know, it's good stuff. Yep. So the, the YouTube videos have links to the page that has links to all of the slides for people who had slides. So Okay. And I I can link to the YouTube videos. It's, yeah. Is it just the the two days or the like the two sections of the two days? There are two for Saturday because it was too long and one for Sunday. Okay. All right. One more thing. I passed my first prelim. Yay! And I now qualify for a master's degree in uh, linguistics. Dun, dun, so dun, I should dun, be getting, uh, you know, uh, they uh, did all the paperwork for that and... Uh, I will get my diploma for master's degree in probably about six months because that's how these things work. Yes. But, and, then on, and then on to the PhD. Yes. Going on to the PhD. I did a syntax prelim and now I don't have to do syntax. <laughs> At least not so much. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Okay. So that's with that. All the announcements out of the way. We are doing, we are featuring a conlang today called Kataputi. It is one of the Akana conlangs. And so we, um, uh, it's created by uh, a user that goes by the name the Duke of Nuke. Um, I try to contact uh, all the conlangers that we feature their languages. Uh, but um, I couldn't find any like email address on here. That's um, I don't know how to contact people on Akana or I mean 
anytime you don't have an email address, it's it's kind of hard for me to get to contact you. So uh, if you created this language and you're listening, maybe let us know. <laughs> but uh, we couldn't, you know, obviously we couldn't get that guy on or 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 contact him. But so we have Kataputi. It is so if you're if you're not familiar, the Akana project is a collaborative conlanging project. And basically they have like a con world that's, you know, that, you know, they have maps and everything and history. Uh, yeah, and they have several language families where uh, one person sort of made, the, you know, you have people who made proto-languages and then you have people deriving languages out of it. So Kataputi is uh, classified under the Dumic languages in the Akana world. Um, uh, and he has stuff like it's spoken in Hazaka um, uh, region, uh you know he has he has all the information that's sort of Akana specific, and uh, it's uh, SOV fusional agglutinating and ergative absolutive. So, uh, like we want to do, we'll start off with sort of phonology. Um, it's kind of not not super small, but kind of small consonant inventory. It's weirdly missing a B. And has a P. Yes, that's unexpected. That's just, you know, that's against the, the usual pattern. Usually, if you have a uh, voiced and voiceless series, if you're missing one of those two, it'll be the P. But uh, but sometimes eh. horrible things happen to B as well, so that's not too surprising. Yeah, it's it's okay. Um, and it's like it it only appears in one cluster as a result of... Voicing assimilation. Uh, vowels, it has the regular five vowels, uh, long and short, except the mid-vowels are only long, apparently. Yep. Phonotactically, not so surprising. It's mostly follows sonority in onsets. And um, uh, it's CCV, mostly following sonority, except S and Z can come before stops. That's Again, not very usual. Yeah. Um, there's an interesting thing of, so there's SR and ZR. Uh, so SR and ZR can, uh, like in all but the, it, apparently in all but one of the dialects, it's, uh, that's become SWA and ZWA. So, hmm, okay. I don't know. He has little bits about Prosdi. At least there's a predict- predictable stress. Yeah, predictable stress. Yeah. Uh, it's moraically timed. It's... Yes. Yeah. Moraically timed rather than syllable. syllable. Or the, I mean, I mean that the stress counts more as... Yeah. Uh, which, you know... So for people who don't remember what that means, um, a mora is a unit of length. So a single vowel is one mora... A long vowel is okay. Two yeah, well, um, and then yeah. stress is determined by the penultimate mora. So if your word ends in a long vowel, then that stressor happens there. Otherwise, it happens on the penultimate syllable. Right, right. Um, 
here it's he's I think he's defining it as short vowels are one mora and long vowels are are two moras. Right. Uh, no. Mm, the, the particular languages you define the moras differently, a little bit differently, but usually it's short short and long vowels are that way. Um, Coda consonants can have all sorts of fun for other yeah. systems. This language doesn't have many of those, really. Yeah, I don't think he has coda consonants at all. Nope. Um, does he? Nope. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, just to understand, ling- some linguists don't believe in moras. Some linguists do, but like, if you have moras, there's uh, the idea of you know any any language if it has moras, it'll do the short and long vowel thing, but Codas are sort of an optional thing, uh, but anyway, not not to go too deep into that. Uh, he does have a few notes about dialects. It's all um, it's all phonetics. It caught my eye because I'm taking a sociophonetics course right now. So sociophonetics. Uh, yes, sociophonetics. So that's what Labov does, okay. basically comparing. Yeah, doing um, sociolinguistic analysis on phonetics. I didn't know that got its own name. I just thought that was sociolinguistics or part of that. Okay, sociophonetics. <laughs> so, yay, sociophonetics. Can we have sociomorphophonetics? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, that, that, I've decided that is going to be my subspecialty in life. Very, very <laughs> sub, 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 subspecialty. <laughs> Morpho... Sociophonotactics. Anyway, sorry, I'm just yeah, getting a little yeah, out of control. Yeah, yeah, For, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> morphophonetics. I don't, I'm like. I, I think a lot of linguists would say like, wait, morphology and phonetics don't. But anyway, um, so we have um, my thing with the dialects is personally, um, I would expect to see more notes than just dialect thing, or more than just phonological things. There may be word meaning differences. Yeah, shades of. Uh, meaning, idioms, grammar, um, and there doesn't appear to be any of that even in the body of the document. I mean, he does talk about the dialects from time to time, but it's yeah. a, a purely phonological thing at this point. Yeah, yeah, Phono- but phonological and phonetic stuff is cool. It's just some more st- other other things about the dialects would be would be a yes. good uh, thing. And and even this stuff, it's like again, you know. Uh, it, it you 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 could end up going into a rabbit hole just with the phonetic stuff because when you when you look at well researched languages if you look at you know work that's done on English dialects and stuff just in in phonetics then it's massive so uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> it it's massive and complicated and lots of changes going on. Um, so, and he has a little thing of example words just to illustrate all the 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 differences between the dialects, sort of cognate comparative thing. Sure. Um, uh, he has some stuff on morphology and morphophonology. Uh, so the main, I think, the main thing with his morphophonology is the mutations. So yeah, he's the got mutations the, are interesting. One or two of them are pretty. Darn surprising to me, and that underlying S may have mutations that lead either to Z, that's fine, T, that's fine, or P, 
That's much more surprising to me. Yeah, that looks weird to me. I, 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 yeah. And he also has R can go to T or to P. Right. So we have the T to P. I don't know uh, what's going on there. Um, I, I didn't I, have to, I, what I didn't have time to do was sit down and compare this to the proto language that it's being derived from. If I'd had a little more time to do that, I might have been able to figure out what was going on there. Yeah, that might be that might be a thing to do. Yeah, that would be that would be interesting to to do. I could come up with I could probably come up with a theoretical reason for that mutation, but it would be. Weird and funky. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a conlang, so I don't really feel motivated to do it. (laughs) So, uh, and uh, nominal morphology, he has three declensions. And I'm a little bit, like some of the things that are happening in the the declensions look like they're they're, they're related to the mutation classes. Yes. In both the different verb classes and in the noun classes, you have some variations going on that are related to the mutation. So the mutations are caused by various kinds of prefixes, but they have echoes throughout the language apart from just that. So the it looks like various things must have started their life as clitics and went through these mutations and then they became attached. Because at this point, well, clitics can change stress systems as well. But at this point, they're part of the previous word, and um, they themselves have variations. So, the pockel absolutive in the first declension is ri, so ri. In declension two is t, ti. And in declension three is p, pi. So we have this um, rtp thing going on, which, um, yeah. Yeah. And so, it shows up in um, at least the imperfective part of the verb system as well. Yeah, I mean, I've not sat down and looked at every way that this might be involved, but I would guess it's high yeah. in all sorts of places. And he has some example um, declensions, if you're interested in that. I mean, one what thing is that's this? interesting is he's got variations in stems. Some have one stem form, but there are different stem gradations for some words, like the word for beetle has zwaha, zwa, and zuwa. Um, and different forms take different stems. Right. He has, like, the strong, medium, and weak stems. Right. And... So that all makes sense. I'm looking at the proto-language word for beetle, which is dubapa. Uh-huh. So that's been through some very serious changes. Dubapa, zuaha. Yeah, I can see that. The long zuwa is more surprising. Well, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So I think for beginning conlangers, this it would be an interesting thing to sit down and look at what is presented to you, and look at the proto-language. Because the proto-language is not particularly well sketched out. It has got various things going on. And then they had a separate project where I guess people didn't say what was going on in terms of their sound changes. So there was a project where they reconstructed the proto-language based on how it looks in the various um, child languages people have created. Oh, yeah, I've heard about that. Um, that's a, That's an interesting... So that's fun to look at, too. Okay. So moving on, possession, 
there's just possession is just a uh, prefix. Oh, uh, you're looking at the pronoun system. Uh, I was looking in possessions, possession right now. Just going through the, oh, the, the page. Pronoun, all right. So the this is sort of interesting to me. Is the right? So you're looking at the possessive prefixes. Fine. Mm-hmm. First, second, third person. This to me looks like a minimal augmented system. So most of us are used to singular plural pronouns, first person singular, second person singular, third person singular, and first person plural, second person plural, third person plural. Um, and for the second and third persons in this language, it looks like that. You accept that you have singular, pocal, and plural. Right. The first person gets confusing because you have a first person exclusive and a first person inclusive. And the forms for the first person exclusives are all clearly related. The forms for the first person inclusives are, are all clearly related. But you can't have a first person inclusive singular. Makes no sense. So it's dual. It's dual. So instead of thinking singular versus plural, if you think minimal versus augmented, the minimal column has all of the singulars plus that one first person and second person, that sing- first person inclusive dual. Uh, okay. And then for your pocal and plural... That's the augmented system. And that's what this has. And I find that the minimal augmented language, which actually occurs reasonably often in human languages in various places, um, it's just easier to lay out and explain um, using that instead of saying, oh, we have this weird dual. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I can understand how that 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 works now then. Yeah. So... Um, um, I suppose we should mention that both nouns and pronouns have three cases. Absolutive. Ergative and oblique. Mm-hmm. Um, the oblique is used with postpositions, um, a few other places, and also for appositives. Oh, okay. So a special, a special. Somebody spent time thinking about appositives, and that's nice. So that's when you say things like, um, "My father, comma the doctor." The doctor is an appositive. Uh huh. Yeah, I know. But you know, but I don't know if our listeners know. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> Uh, so that sort of, when you use a noun to clarify a, a, some term in some way, um, it's an appositive. So that's nice that I don't know that you would ever use um, a positive pronouns. Um, but for nouns, you would use the oblique. So I thought that was uh, interesting. It's, it's definitely... Um, it's the little things yeah. that display it's, one's craftsmanship. It's sort of like... Uh, I could do an ad for cologne or something with that. <laughs> It's just yeah, it's it's, it's a little extra thing that most people say. Um, so he has a section called correlatives. So that's our fault. Yes, possibly. <laughs> well, when that episode we basically said correlatives are kind of not a thing except for in Esperanto, right? Well, they're but, kind of a thing. There are lots of languages where you have something that looks kind of like a correlative chart, but it's a little bit messy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not surprising to me. I, I mean, I say it's our fault. I mean, this person may never have listened to our show, so I, I don't. <laughs> they may have just seen Esperanto and done that, or a Latin or Greek grammar. That yeah. sort of layout is very common in, in those old things as well. Anyway, but it's it's not it's 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 not like he did anything super weird with it, though. No, it's simple stuff. Yeah, he didn't do it. He didn't do the weird like the way the weird. 
uh, Esperanto way or anything. You, you just mm-hmm. called it that. That's all. Yeah. So verbs have the same sort of thing with as nouns is in that they have the three conjugations. Yes. That are similar to the uh, the the mutations. Um, there's some. Uh, he talks. He mentions a little bit that there are a few other. Um, there's a reflexive prefix, an antipassive suffix, relativizer suffix. Um, but so the, the the three different verb classes, the verbs aren't conjugated for person, just mood and aspect. And this system to me looks more and the the differences between the um, the conjugation classes themselves makes me think about Australian languages, frankly. And here's another place where the um, gradation, the mutations happen. So, yeah. So sitting yeah. And, and looking at that is is kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, it's not it's not a whole lot of verb uh, morphology. No, that's fine. Um, which is cool. Yeah. He has the attributive form, which is a relativizer, but is also used to let your adjectives act in an attributive way. So adjectives themselves can act as verbs. Okay. Normal. <laughs> Normal verbs. But if you want to say, you know, the big dog, then you need to use this uh, relativizer in, on the verb. Yeah, there is an anti-passive, but I'm disappointed in the description of it. Yeah. It's just like there's more to a passive than getting rid of the agent. Because the agent is often still stated. Uh, it's just oblique mm-hmm. um, and serves various functions the anti-passive ought to do that too, but we don't see any of that elaboration in this language. Alas, not that I'm going to blame him because in one of my first published languages, I did exactly the same thing. I'm like, oh, wow, an anti-passive. I'll add that without yeah. much um, understanding of what you used it for. Nice, simple, kind of boring um, Chinese-style uh, number system, numeral system, it looks like. Oh, numbers. Yeah. You know, I just never look at those. I just I, I didn't even see it on the first pass reading through this, but I just saw it now. Uh, he has some derivational morphology going on. Um, the derivational affixes have their own classes attached to them, which makes sense. Right, it's because different stems undergo various changes, and they represent the early forms. So the verbs also have up to three... Um, different grades um, onto which different endings go. So that the verb for to boil has three stems, which I love, which are he, 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 and he. <laughs> and the reconstructed form is geepy. Oh, okay. So anyway, but that's fine. I, I like this, this idea of uh, different stems popping up. It looks to me like what he imagined was happening is that at some stage of the language, there was an extremely strong stress accent, which obliterated everything that came after. Hmm. Okay. So things disappear. Um, and then the sound system had to be reorganized to fit the rules. Okay. And that accounts for the different stems because none of the different stems are radically different. It's not like a go versus went. Uh huh. Um, it, it's clear that they're related to each other, so that's that's interesting and a good way to add a sort of natural randomness, a random or natural irregularity. Yeah, I do. I do really like the the different stems and the mutations put together. That makes a, a very interesting combination. 
Yeah, I didn't have time to look into the origin of those mutations. That's more interesting because he has two different kinds of fortition, which is more surprising because normally mutations are lenition or nasalization processes. So uh-huh. I'd be interested to know what the thinking was in that if we could have found the person. Okay, do we want to talk a little bit about his syntax section? Uh, we had we had a positive. We mentioned the positives, which. You use the oblique for positives. Uh, we have basic word order is SLV um, with some flexibility. It's um, it's uh, looks like it's sort of just Japanese like. Not well it, because Japanese is SOV like. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Postpositions, verb final, yeah, noun yeah. final, all of the usual stuff. Yeah. Um, and, uh, okay. So for, in his syntax, he has something that he gets, that he calls the subjunctive. Uh huh. But. Yeah. It acts more like nominalization, which I think is hilarious and beautiful and approve of. Mm hmm. Because given everything else that a sub, the subjunctive is used to name, why shouldn't it also name a kind of nominalization? <laughs> yes. So that's all I have to say about that. It's. Uh, um, perfective, imperfective alignment in the verb, so that's pretty standard. Uh, this is interesting stuff on different kinds of negation mm-hmm. that I thought was interesting. Um, uh, it upsets me terribly that he has laid out um, different kinds of syntax using transformational notation. Uh, <laughs> I think it's it's just a descriptive thing without necessarily in ind- endorsing a particular theory of language, but it's still uh, yeah, and it tells you what th- what happens. So no. I suppose I will. Survive. It's just um, yeah. Nobody really does transformations anymore, but uh, um, he is he has a nice little section on questions. Yes, and um, he did a thing that I like. In that, when he's talking about polar questions, the so yes no questions, he talks about um, whether whether a given uh, uh, a given uh, way of asking a polar question presupposes a positive answer or a negative answer. Yes, this is important. Yeah, because uh, that's a thing that is important to think about. So, uh, wh word questions. I think it's just. It's just WH in situ. Yep. So in place. Although I love the um, example sentences. A shark bit my face. What <laughs> bit my face? Whom did the shark bite? <laughs> Whose face did the shark bite? That's good. That's a complicated <laughs> question to ask. So just from the standpoint of constructions and syntax. Yeah. Uh, what thing of mine did the shark bite? I don't like that sentence. Um, what sort of shark bit my face? So that's good. What sort of shark in my face? Hey, he got to use the what kind of question marker. Mm-hmm. And we've got nice sample text, and uh, there's the lexicon. Right. Uh, anything that popped out to you about the lexicon that's cool? Uh, about the lexicon, it's the standard um, Akana lexicon. They, okay. For these languages, they everyone gets, a, I guess, a word list, and then they go through and do things. Um. The semantic richness of these dictionaries is not as nice as it could be, mm-hmm. um, in my opinion. But that's just me. Um, 
they do they do at least sort of include some some uh words for like a kind of specific places yep. and people yep i mean that's i always have such mixed feelings about wikis for documenting conlangs the akana stuff is nice first because it's just attractively laid out it's not as ugly as many wikis are um and when you have a shared world like this, so some of the stories also, or some of the example sentences from time to time make reference to places or peoples or cultures in the world, and that just makes it nicer in a way yeah. to cross-link that without having to do big, ugly footnotes to explain what's going on. So that's nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the vocabulary is not striking in any way. It's a nice, solid list, and they put them in the proto-languages and go on. Uh, one thing that I thought was interesting that I, I'm looking at my notes and we skipped over, um, in addition to the personal possessive prefixes, uh-huh. um, let me find a decent example. There we go. There is a, a genitive construction for when nouns are possessing. Um, the example is the, mount, the man's trousers. Okay. Um, but for inalienably possessed nouns, you use the genitive and the um possession marking okay that makes so sense. it's um the man's trousers but it's the man's his legs okay and that's interesting a nice little touch there that um inter- uh inalienable possession has a little extra work going on um that's a bit unusual in the normal yeah. scheme of things inalienable possession is usually simpler yeah, it's usually less marked. Usually less marked, but that's okay. But the fact that they're distinguished is fine by me. Yeah. Um, so that's that's generally all that we have on uh, Kathaputi. It's it's very interesting to look at. Uh, I I will link to it in the show notes. Yep. Um, and I've I'm, also added the proto word list, so people. I I definitely think looking at this language and comparing it to that proto word list is the most educational part for beginning conlanger. Okay. Yeah, that's a that's that's a good point. And uh an maybe maybe later I will look look at the proto language a little bit too. That's uh you know, that's a thing. Yeah. You know? Um so I guess that's all for this. I guess it's gonna be a little bit well it's not too short of a uh an episode. Um uh, William, you have any last things to say? Uh, nope, I don't think so. Okay, well, guys, uh, check out the all the uh, LCC talks. I will make sure that I can see that. Uh, do those. Um, one thing, I will be in China all of next month. Uh, so. Uh, We'll still deal with Conlangery. It may be William don't run the show. Yep. Uh, so just know that and expect that. Um, uh, I'm hoping since I can, once I finish up this semester and get all that crazy stuff I need to do done, maybe during the summer I might be able to put together a bunch of shorts that I can I can start, I can get ready to put in during the year. Um other than that, I'm just going to say happy Conlanging. Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find our archives and show notes at conlangery.com. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash conlangery. 
You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+. All of those are conlangery. And if you would like to hear your conlang featured on the top of the show, you can look at our contribute page. It has the instructions for what you need to translate and how to send it to me. Conlangery's web space is provided by the Language Creation Society, and our music is by Null Device. Welcome to Conlangery, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. Let's start that again. Let's, let's do that. <laughs> okay. In three, two, one. Um. Ah! <laughs> Thank you, George. <laughs> Someone's calling me. I will pause. George is on the phone. George is on the phone. George is on the phone. I hope he doesn't answer his phone when he's driving his car. Okay. Somebody, that was, that was an automated call about my CPAP supplies. <laughs> mm, and, well, all that stuff's in there. <laughs> George, you're falling apart. <laughs>